Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts and Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Anne and Nick had the honor of speaking with Stephanie Shepard, Partnerships Manager and Director on the Board with Last Prisoner Project, a nonprofit organization dedicated to cannabis-related criminal justice reform. In addition to her work at Last Prisoner Project, Stephanie is herself a survivor of the war on drugs, having been sentenced in 2010 to 10 years in the Federal Bureau of Prisons for a nonviolent cannabis Related crime. The Green Rush was first introduced to Stephanie through Cannabis Team, the premier executive search and staffing firm, and an ongoing partner with the Last Prisoner Project. In this episode, Anne and Nick connect with Stephanie to talk about the challenges she faced reintegrating into society following her sentence, how she began working with the Last Prisoner Project in the fight for restorative justice, and actions the industry can begin taking to aid those still being victimized by the criminalization of cannabis. In addition, the three discussed President Biden's missed opportunity to make a greater impact on the cannabis movement with his most recent announcements, as well as the 2022 midterm elections. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Stephanie Shepard, Partnership Director with Last Prisoner Project. Stephanie Shepard, we are so excited to have you here. Um, first of all, can you please do an introduction of yourself? Let our listeners know know who you are and know your relation to cannabis. Okay. Um, my name is Stephanie Shepard. I work with The Last Prisoner Project. Um, I am now the partnerships manager and I'm also on the board of directors, but uh, prior to that, I was a constituent of theirs. Um, I was released in 2019 after serving a 10-year sentence for first-time nonviolent uh, cannabis conspiracy to distribute. And I did nine of those years. Um, and I came out not really knowing of anything like The Last Prisoner Project. And once I got out and I was introduced to them, um, I just really liked the work that they were doing because I thought to myself, how would I have felt sitting inside thinking someone's coming to help me, someone's out there fighting for me. And I didn't have that because they were just getting started as an org. So um, just being able to be a part of that is, is means the world to me. So what were the the dates that you were incarcerated? Um, I was introduced to the conspiracy in 2010, and I was released um, February 6th of 2019. I had an ankle monitor on for four months. So by the time I got the ankle monitor off, it was like June 5th of 2019 that my, pro my five-year probation period started, which I'm in the third year of that right now. 
Okay. And then for, we've talked about the last prisoner project on here. We've had uh, both Steve um, and Andrew D'Angelo on the show. We talked to Jim Belushi about it. So um, I feel like our listeners know, but can you just do a refresher on, on their mission? Um, their mission is to get the tens of thousands of people still incarcerated for cannabis out. Um, last prisoner project does more than the release aspect of it. They work also work on policy change. We have an amazing policy team. Um, so they work on policy change. We have a reentry team that, you know, once you get home, people think, oh, you know, you're free. But your life's really just beginning over, especially if you've done a longer sentence like I did. Um, you don't just come back and, and jump right back into where you left off. It's not that simple. So reentry is very important. And what I like about Last Prisoner Project is they asked us, the constituents, um, they asked those staff members that have been negatively impacted and have served time, what does someone need when they get home? And we were able to provide them with those um, answers and those just the way that we saw things coming home. And it's really served um, our constituents well. We have been able to donate over $1.5 million um, in direct funding to constituents and their families. We do uh, family support. Um, which is great because people think that prison is free. So being able to put money on the commissary accounts of our constituents, it, it's a huge relief for them. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that. I, I, I want to jump back into your personal story before we go too deep into to LPP, because Stephanie, I'm really struck by the dates in which you, uh, you know, were incarcerated from, from 2010 to 2019 was there's so much movement in marijuana legislation, seeing markets open up where companies were profiting by 2016 by moving way more amounts of, of cannabis than, than you were ever, you know, a conspiracy in, in quotes, a part of. Um, and so I, I just wonder from your perspective, how, how was that? Um, you know, either while in jail, hearing about the the evolution of the 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 cannabis industry, or coming out of it and seeing that you know Colorado and Washington have have marketplaces open, California's got a marketplace, all these states are opening up, doing this. What what was that mentally like? Um, it was baffling um, at first when I saw it. When it really struck me, because being in prison, you kind of put yourself into a bubble. Um, from the outside world because you don't have the ability to do anything about what's going on outside. So people inside tend to just kind of lock it out. And that can be with your family, what's going on in the world and politics. Um, but I have always been into politics. So I always watch the news and I saw one night in 2016, there was a news a news uh story being ran about cannabis so of course i stayed to watch it and when i watched it and it was about you know the booming industry and this booming company that this you know really pretty blonde blue you know blue-eyed 
woman was talking about. And I was sitting in the room with another young lady, a black young lady who was also doing time for cannabis. And when he asked her, how's business? And she said, oh, business is booming. (laughs) We just Uh looked at each other and thought, okay, you're sitting here serving an eight-year sentence. I'm serving a 10-year sentence. And this lady's on TV talking about how business is booming. And that was the first time that I was like, wow, what about, what about us? What about me? Who's, who are you? Am I getting let out now? And for that not to happen and to serve my sentence, um, it was hard to see. And then to come home and still be on five years probation. And as I'm driving to the probation office, I pass a billboard. Um, and I didn't understand the billboard. It, it had a fire emoji and it said AF and it had a number and it said, we deliver. And I asked my sister, what is that? And my sister said, she just shook her head and said, they, they bring it to your house. (laughs) And that was, that was the first introduction to today's industry for me. Now that I've been out for a few years and a part of the industry and going to big conferences and conventions and seeing what the industry really is, it compels me more to keep fighting for these people that are still incarcerated for what's a billion dollar industry. I, sorry, Nick, I guess I, I'm just so struck, um, frankly, by your composure, um, because, and, and how, like, how do you deal with the anger? I have to take responsibility. I was convicted for something that was illegal. I accept that. What I can't accept is people still incarcerated. When I can go within a couple of miles of my house to several different places and people can go and purchase and not be worried about going to prison. But yet there's Kevin Allen sitting in prison doing a life sentence for cannabis, $20 worth to be exact, because it was his third strike. The anger, I tried to transform that into just positive energy because I feel like something's going to happen soon, but I don't want to get my hopes up. I think that's, uh, that's kind of a theme for the industry, right? I, we, we hear it all the time from, you know, we, we interview uh, business executives on the show a bunch and they're always like, you know, we have the hope that, you know, federal legislation like safe banking is going to happen all that stuff. But, you know, I, it's still it's so much more impactful with what you're talking about, um, you know, that the the way that lives could be affected in it. And so, you know, I think this is a good segue into the, the announcement from a couple of weeks ago um, from Joe Biden's administration on, you know, 
the the federal pardons that he's going to give out for for simple marijuana possession and and the look into either descheduling or rescheduling um, cannabis overall. I'm interested both from your personal perspective, Stephanie, how that announcement you know impacted you and what your thoughts are on it, and you know where does LPP um, see that announcement in terms of you know what your group's overall mission is. I knew it wasn't going to impact me directly because um, simple possession, no one was in prison for simple possession. Um, Is it a nice starting point to start a conversation because no other president has? Yes. Um, For people who have been out for a number of years and have figured life out, does it really matter if they're pardoned or not? He he fell short of doing what he actually has the power to do. That would have been a huge win. I wouldn't have got through prison without, you know, being pretty optimistic about things. And happy the conversation has started. It's more than we had before. I am happy that thousands of people got this kind of forgiven on their record. Giving the nods to the governors and and empowering them to do what he did and even more that's the majority of people incarcerated are at the state level for cannabis. So um, giving that, that power to the governors, I think that was a good choice. And the, the scheduling, descheduling should be the ultimate thing. Rescheduling, if that's all we get, we will we'll take it, I'm sure, but we're not going to stop fighting for that ultimate of, of it being descheduled. If you had five minutes with President Biden. <laughs> oh, what would you uh, say? <laughs> five minutes. I, I'd ask him, are you open to sparking one up? You know, just, just <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Are well, you we know, know his daughter is. And we definitely know his VP is. So um, <laughs> just learning more, really. I, I joke about that, but really just asking him to listen. Listen to the families. Listen to the children of people who are incarcerated for what is, if it weren't for today's industry, I might say, But with the industry as it is today and people doing much less than what we see in the industry, I can't I can't allow that to to go unnoticed, to go unrecognized that people are still incarcerated and there's children and there's these collateral consequences that other people, my family had to to suffer. And they didn't do anything wrong. 
but it trickles down and it trickles down into communities. And I would just let him know that these aren't bad people. These are people who found a way to provide for their families the same way the biggest cannabis companies are doing today. And they shouldn't be punished for that. I want to talk a minute about um, your life today and your your role and your day to day, um, you know, with the Last Prisoner Project, but also moving about in a world that you were largely absent from for a decade. What does that look like, and what does that feel like for you? Um, coming home was a, a like sensory overload for me. Um, being incarcerated, you know what your what every day is going to look like, and now you're out. And you, I had two weeks to get a job, so I got a job. But you're also dealing with um, the home confinement house or the halfway house or probation. So you always have to be on your P's and Q's when it comes to that. Um, even now, three years after being out, I still get nervous when a police officer pulls up next to me. Not that I'm doing anything wrong. I'm licensed. I have my insurance. But just knowing that any interaction could cost me my freedom. So having to be better than, which is, you know, kind of something that's been a thread throughout my life, <laughs> needing to be just a little bit better. So that's a thing. Um, having to deal with housing and banking, um, those are issues that you just have to navigate. I, I didn't make it through that period in my life to get to a point where now I'm going to just give up. No, I'm going to keep doing what I, what I have to do and what I'm supposed to do. Because if I'm not here to tell my story and share my story and keep these prisoners in people's heads, who, who else is going to do it? And that's just my thinking for myself. If not me, who? Are are you at all even able to possess or consume cannabis no. under probation? No. Yeah. So, so once, once, once I'm the probation wreck, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always crying and carrying on. Uh, once probation is over um, and I'm off of of probation, um, that will be something that I could probably revisit or, you know, confirm that that's allowed. But right now, no. And in terms of your, your voting status? Which was the thing I was most worried about, most concerned with. I was the one, you know, gathering inmates because I've convinced them that politics is better than any reality show <laughs> in, that they can ever watch. And, you know, as the debate started happening, more people started to come and join and it was kind of like a thing. <laughs> so um, that was important for me when I got out 
to be able to vote. And I did my research. I checked with my probation officer. Her response was like a little, a little concerning. It was like, yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. She didn't have the answer to that. She didn't have the answer. She told, but I saved the email where she said, yes. So I was very excited and I was excited to just put that message out there that just because you are a felon or just because you have been incarcerated, you have not automatically lost your rights. So check, do your own research. Don't listen to what other people say, check for yourself. And um, I was happy I did. And I was able to cast my vote. But when I cast my vote, I cast it for the person who made promises that as of today, are not being kept. Can you say more about that? It's disheartening. It's disheartening for me because it's the right thing to do. It's actually the smart thing to do, releasing these federal cannabis prisoners. But for some reason, it's being ignored. And this is not a few people. This is thousands of people who can get home, start paying taxes, start raising their children, caring for elderly parents. So, yeah, casting my vote and, you know, being able to vote for who I voted for <laughs> meant a lot to me for other reasons. And it's just not panning out. It's just not. Are you um, still in touch with uh, the, the the women that you were incarcerated with? That's another thing that is unfortunate about our system. Here you are put in a position where these women become your family. It's against my probation to be in contact oh. with other felons. So you have to cut those relationships off. But these are the people who were there when my father passed away. Yeah. The people who walked me to the gate when I was allowed to fly to Sacramento, go to his funeral, and showed back up that night back in prison and walked through those doors. Yeah just having buried my father. So these are the women who welcomed me back. But I can't be in contact with them now. You know, the the reason why we got in, in touch with you um, is through um, the, the folks, Liesl Bernard at Cannabis Team, which is the um, a client of ours, a great client, they are an executive search and staffing firm for specifically for the cannabis industry. And they do a lot of work with the uh, the Last Prisoner Project. Um, and, and we'll talk with Lisa on an upcoming show. Um, but they participated in um, a letter writing program. And, you know, you, you're you're talking about how contact and how relationships um are so important, especially when you are serving a prison sentence. Um, can you walk our listeners through what that program is and why it is so important? 
Okay, so on to a much better note. <laughs> I apologize. I get very, very no. Do, please n- never <laughs> apologize for it. That's your story, and you know, I I think it is so important for our listeners to hear this because you know, from our standpoint, we talk to a lot of businesses, we talk to a lot of executives. Um, you know, we talk a lot about you know social justice and reform, and but relatively little about restorative justice. So. Um, it is really important that we we hear from you and we hear this story. So um, I, I'm sorry that that it is that it is emotional for you, but I, I it's it's important, and I just want to honor that. Thank you. Um, the letter writing program is has really grown since we started. Um, we were able to disperse over ten thousand holiday cards last year. And that's working with dispensaries and brands and um, doing letter writing happy hours. So like what we do with cannabis is uh, we did a happy hour. I spoke to the team, kind of shared a little bit about my story and why letter writing to constituents is so important. Because when you first go to prison, you may have some support or you may not, but you may have some support. As the years go on, that support falls off. You you become more and more forgotten. I mean, I was lucky. I have um, family support, but that's not always typical. So being able to connect with constituents through the letter writing program, you can do it, you know, the old fashioned way and write out a nice letter. You can go onto our website um, where you can do a digital version. Um, I spend a lot of time printing those out and mailing them to our constituents. Um, It just means a lot because that outside contact, that feeling of normalcy, of hearing about someone's day, and, and specifically knowing that people are out there who have not forgotten you, that you are not forgotten, that when you were a part of the legacy and now you are incarcerated, there's still community out here who don't believe you should be incarcerated and are fighting for you to be home. I didn't have that. I had, you know, my sister doing what she could, but I did not have that feeling of change. And I feel like when our partnerships develop and they do the letter writing program or they provide it to their patients or their customers in the dispensaries. Um, I feel as if that connects the, the two. And I think Mm -hmm. it's important to know that people are out there because I didn't know that. And so every day just seemed unhappy because I, I didn't have that hope that anybody was out there caring about me, wanting to get me out, going to the White House, getting arrested, anything like that for me. And now our constituents know that there's that that support out there and in our in the industry right now. I 100% agree. I think making that connection between, you know, the people that are outside and the people that are inside is really 
makes it so those folks that are are part of the legacy aren't forgotten. I think that's such a message that gets overlooked um, within the industry today. I think there's there's a lot of people in this space that kind of like wave their hand at, oh, yeah, the legacy industry. We're we're very worried about that. We, We donate money. We do these things. But we know that that's not real justice. That's not always making it's, it's financial support is great, but that's not making the difference. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested, Stephanie, what, what can you tell us about what the industry misses when we talk about um, the incarcerated legacy individual? What I have seen in the industry in these past few years is there's a lot of new people. There's a lot of big names. Um, they don't know or they don't respect legacy. And you would have to admit that there would be no legal if there were no legacy. So they definitely have been soldiers in this industry and should be treated as such and welcomed home as such. And I think a lot of the new industry doesn't understand that a lot of them don't even understand cannabis, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a money maker for, for many, not all, but for many. So I really would encourage anybody out there that is a part of today's legal industry to make a an effort it's not just money like you said nick it's not um just throwing you know some support it's got to be all in and using your platform it doesn't always have to be money it can be your platform it can be your your clientele but educating people about what's really going on and the number of people I hear so often people say people it's legal now people are no longer getting in trouble for cannabis and that Mm -hmm. is very far from the truth yeah I think that centering that mentality of how do we take action it is so important right now. So, um, you know, letter writing campaigns, providing financial support, sharing on your platforms and stuff. Those are, those are all really good things. Is there anything else that LPP, you know, I I feel really inspired from this conversation. And so it's like, as soon as we're done, I want to jump in and and do more, more that I can. Um, but you know, what can I do to help influence my community, um, to take more, take more action? Start the conversations. Um, it could just be something as simple as within your your company, in the office, at, at your family function, finding out how everyone feels about it. Even the people who don't consume, there's still a financial burden that's that's placed on them when people are incarcerated for cannabis. Maybe that will appeal to some people. Um, just find that common thread of, these people shouldn't be incarcerated and and acting on that. Um, letter writing is it's a small lift, but it has a big impact. 
um, donations, obviously we couldn't do what we do. It's not something that you can volunteer your time at. You have to be all in. I, I wake up thinking about how can I do something for one of our constituents today? Um, so just, we have a website, we have a take action page, we have petitions, but mostly voting your interests and getting other people to vote their interests. And hopefully their interests will be, it doesn't really make sense to have people incarcerated for the very thing that I've just passed two buildings that are selling it. And just starting those conversations. Does LPP uh, have like a voter guide um, at all type of thing for for people that are are interested in either at the the federal or local level going into this midterm? Like who who are the pro cannabis candidates or not? I know I've I've worked with like the normal um, group out here in Arizona on, on a voter guide, but was just interested if there was anything that LPP had resources on. We really stay nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. Um, we are a nonprofit organization. Um, and that's kind of goes along with it, but also this support can come from either side. We know that Republicans and Democrats use cannabis at the same rate. We know black and white use cannabis at the same rate. So it crosses party lines. It should. And we just try to get the support wherever someone realizes it's it's correct and it's the right thing to do so um we just kind of stay out of that there are people that are like gary chambers jr we've worked with him um he's running for louisiana state senate we've worked with him on kevin allen's campaign he's spoken out about kevin allen's life sentence without possibility of parole um so those are educational um affiliations. So we do. um, But if it was a Republican saying all the right things, we would spotlight that person as well. What we will do is also in our show notes um, and in our social channels, we'll put a link to the Last Prisoner Project, um, certainly the right, the letter writing program, as well as the Take Action page. Um, so we'll make sure that that we're promoting that certainly, you know, in advance of uh, of the election coming up. Um, but, you know, Stephanie, in closing, what's next for you? What does the next year look like? Um, The next year is going to be interesting because we will be leading up to elections and seeing if maybe just what's gone on so far in President Biden's announcement, possibly I'm hoping that was a test to see how it would be received. And I think the only criticism was he didn't do enough. And that's got to um, push something, push the meter a little bit towards more hope uh, in getting these people out, at least at the federal level. So just working, just (laughs) pushing on. A lot of people ask me like, do you wanna get into the legal industry? And that is not something I could even consider right now, not knowing that people are sitting where I was for the same reason I was just a few short years ago. Well, we thank you for your work. 
keep on doing it. Um, we're big fans. Um, and keep us posted on, on what's happening. Um, you have an open invitation to come on anytime you want. Um, thank you. and just, just thank you for sharing your story because I, you know, it must be just emotionally exhausting too. So, you know, I hope you have some outlets that are, um, you know, like good places for you to go and just, you know, not have to rehash this all the time because I, I just can imagine that it is, it just must be exhausting for you. So I, I hope you're taking care of your, your mental health and physical health <laughs> as well. So, um, I, I am. I, I know it seems um, like a lot, but really it's just my natural reaction. It was a hard time. I don't know if there will ever be a time that it's not hard for me to talk about, but they are as well like tears of joy because I am lucky to be home and not still be incarcerated, but there are tears of sadness because people are incarcerated. So thank you guys for having me. And if anybody wants to reach out or partner or find ways that they can get involved, um, I'm Stephanie at lastprisonerproject.org and anybody can hit me up. I, it doesn't matter if you're a startup, we just find ways to spread the education and the word. I love it. Stephanie Shepard, partnership manager, member of the board of directors of Last Prisoner Project. Thank you. Huge thanks, really, really big thanks to Stephanie Shepard, Partnerships Manager and member of the Board of Directors for The Last Prisoner Project. Please go visit their website. Please check out the letter writing campaign. Donate if you can. Um, you know, this really was unlike any other episode that, that we've ever done. So um, I hope you please take it to heart um, and take some action, especially in light of uh, these midterm elections, which are upon us. So um, thank you again, Stephanie. We, we really um, are honored to have shared your story. If you like the story, if you like our podcast, if you want to chat with us, check us out on the Green Rush underscore podcast on Instagram and the underscore Green Rush on Twitter. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, please drop us an email, greenrush at KCSA. If you have any guest ideas, we love hearing from you. And please don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take.